While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. God in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, for the church. Lord, we know that you have called us to great things. I pray, Father, today that through your Holy Spirit, you would minister to us, to each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at. I believe that you've brought us here for a great purpose. May we hear and see the beautiful promises that you made all the way back with Abraham and Isaac. May we see how those promises are still true and they affect the way we live today. Lord, just move through your word in this time. Lord, this is your church and we are your people. So come and do as you see fit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Making sure we understand the context for this sermon. It comes on the heels of a miracle. The miracle was described in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. Peter and John were walking into the temple courts, and there was a man there who had begged his entire life because he was born crippled. Couldn't walk. His legs were deformed from birth. So at some point in his life, people began to take him to the gate called Beautiful, where he would sit and beg from those going in to pray and worship. On this particular day, Peter and John walk by, and just like anyone else who walked by, the man reaches up his hand and says, you got any money? Peter says, I don't have money, but I have something else. I have Jesus, and so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he reaches out, and that's a huge step of faith, because this man clearly can't walk. He reaches out and he grabs the hand of the beggar, 
And he pulls him to his feet, and the text says that immediately his legs and his feet and his ankles gained strength. The beggar began to walk and to leap and to jump and to praise God. That They walked into the temple courts, into the court of Israel, and, and the best we can tell, they went ahead and went to the prayer service. Probably was a little bit more amped up of a prayer service than they're used to, because there's a man who everyone knows to be crippled, that is now running around in circles saying praise to God. But at the end of the prayer meeting, Peter, John, and the healed man, then they walk back into Solomon's colonnade, and there they meet a huge crowd of people. The crowd of people want to know one thing. What happened to the dude we, we see here every day? We, we heard some rumor while you guys were in there praying that something miraculous happened, and we just need you to explain it to us. So Peter takes the challenge. He steps up and he begins to explain what this miracle represents. What this miracle proves. As a preacher, I can tell you that I love sharing the gospel. But to do so spontaneously and off the cuff like Peter's had to do now two times, that just would send anxiety through the roof for me. There have been a couple times where I've sat where you're sitting and I've been asked just off the cuff by a leader in the church, Todd, why don't you stand up and just, just give, us, give us a word. Um, blessings. You know, I, 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 just off the cuff is not necessarily my best forte. But the sermon that we just heard and the text that we will dissect today, I'm going to give Peter a pretty stout grade for pointing everything that this group is excited about back to Jesus Christ. He does a great job of it. It's a three-part sermon. It really has kind of just three individual movements. The first one is to bolster the name of Jesus, to let everyone who's listening know that Jesus is the one who healed this man. Then he moves into a portion of the sermon revolving around grace. Forgiveness. Beautiful, beautiful portion of the sermon, especially on the heels of his first point. And then, like most apostolic preaching, his third point is to go, everything I'm telling you is not just by circumstance. It's written in the Bible. Now remember, we're in the very beginning of the New Testament church, so any scripture that they would reference would be the Old Testament, the prophets. And Peter does an excellent job of showing all the way back to Genesis and through the prophets that and they all talked about this day, this Jesus, this Messiah, the one who would cause the lame to walk. Three movements, beautifully powerful, and I think just from the heart. But boy, it's got a lot for us to still hear today. The message is to a crowd of Israelites, Jewish worshipers, but I think we need to hear it today as well. 2,000 years later, I think the vast majority of us, not Jewish by birth, but still in great need of Jesus, and that's the core of this message. Peter's first movement is to explain the name of Jesus and the power that it has, that it, that it possesses. He's going to do it 
in three ways. He's going to first make sure that the crowd knows that he was not the one responsible for healing the beggar. He's going to say, it was not me, it was Jesus. Not me, it was Jesus. And then he's going to very harshly remind them, you remember Jesus, the one who six weeks ago you crucified. The one that you betrayed, the one that you sold out, the one that you killed, that one? Oh yeah, he's the guy that did this. Let's dive in. Acts chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Peter making sure they know, it wasn't me. It was not me. While the man held on to Peter and John, all of the people were astonished. And they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. They, they come out of the gate called Beautiful. They step into the temple courts where everyone can gather, and they get bum-rushed. When Peter saw this, verse 12, he said to them, fellow Israelites, brothers, sisters, immediately connecting himself to the audience, fellow Israelites, why does it surprise you? Very indicting question. You are in the house of God. You are worshipers of God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does it shock you so much that a miracle would happen in the house of God? Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us, Peter and John, as if by our own power or godliness? Who I love that. They are in the Mecca of self-righteousness. The Israelites were known for doing good works to gain favor with God. And so Peter just dispels that right off the bat. If you think that this man has been healed because of me, my power, or any good things I did to make me godly, you are sorely mistaken. It's not by our power, our godliness. We did not make this man walk. He then goes on to say it was Jesus. It was the power of Jesus. I'm going to read the first part of verse 13 and skip down to 16. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God that you are here worshiping, the God that we're praying to and sacrificing to, that God has glorified his servant, Jesus. I can do this because Jesus was glorified. Meaning this, I can walk in this power because Jesus, who was in the grave, didn't stay in the grave because God the Father, through His power, raised Jesus from the dead, exalted Him to the right hand of God, the throne of glory, where He now sits and has sent to us His promised Holy Spirit. And it's only because God glorified Jesus Jesus, 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 it's only because of that that I can do this. Skip down to verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you know. I love it. Don't forget, you've walked by him daily for decades. You know him. You can see that something radically awesome has occurred. You can see this man. It is the name of Jesus and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Jesus made him strong. Now, Peter reminds them of who this Jesus is that he's talking about. 
he says in the first ten verses, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Just so there's no confusion as to who he's talking about. But then he reminds the crowd, you know Jesus. You, know, you remember Jesus. The one you betrayed. Going back up to verse 13, reading through 15. You handed this Jesus, you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate. Pilate was the governor in charge of this area, the Roman governor in charge of this area of Palestine. If you remember back to the final hours of Jesus' life, Jesus was brought before Pilate. Pilate questioned Jesus for quite some time. At the end of that questioning, Pilate walks out with Jesus into the praetorium. He stands with a beaten, bloody Jesus beside him, and he says, I find no guilt in this man. I've questioned him, and as your governor, he is innocent. And the same people that are listening to this sermon on this day, who had gathered in the praetorium six weeks earlier, what do they say? Crucify him. If you won't do it, we'll go find someone else who will. But there is no way that man is innocent. Put him on the cross. Peter is reminding the men and the women gathered in Solomon's colonnade on this day, that you disowned Jesus before Pilate, even though he had decided to let him go. Pilate saw no guilt. Pilate was a weak leader, though. He was a weak leader. Verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. Remember the murderer Barabbas? Remember when Pilate, not wanting to cause a ruckus, goes, hey, usually during this season, I will release one of the prisoners that we have. So uh, Jesus is currently a prisoner of mine, and Barabbas, the psychotic killer, he's also one of, um, one of my prisoners. So he marches both of them out before this same group of people, and he says, you can have e either one, I'm going to release one, I'm going to keep one, psychotic killer, uh, man who heals and loves people, which one do you want? And they said, give us Barabbas. We will take the psychotic killer back into our community over you releasing Jesus. And Peter's just reminding them, in case they'd forgotten, that six weeks ago they had made those choices. He says in verse 15, you killed the author of life. I think there's some intentional conflict here. You killed the author of life. You chose to release a man who takes life, a murderer. You chose to release him and you condemned the one who gives life. Peter will go on to say how dumb these people were in their choices. He will call them ignorant. I mean, that's right up there for me. I, I know that a mob can get in, just enraged. And I know that there were religious leaders behind the scenes stirring it up. But for hundreds of people to look at that choice, a taker of life and the author of life, and say, release the taker of life and kill the author of life. That's just beyond imagining to me. But... But, 
God raised him from the dead. You killed him, God raised him. God raised him from the dead. And we, as apostles, we are witnesses of this. We've seen Jesus alive. We've talked with him. He is no longer in that tomb, as many of you are probably aware. Peter then almost unexplainably switches the tone and direction of his sermon to grace. The next few verses are filled with it. Verse 17. Now. That happened in the past. Now. Now that I have your attention. Now that you know that we didn't heal this man that Jesus did. And, and you're reminded of who this Jesus is. The one, that you dis, the one that you disowned and killed. Now that you now that you know that. Brothers and sisters. Fellow Israelites. I know that you acted in ignorance. As did your leaders. I am dumbfounded with this blanket declaration of innocence. I, I don't know about our courts of law, but oftentimes stupidity is not a good justification for your actions. But Peter, understanding how the death of Jesus plays into the gospel narrative, he simply and with one blanket statement says, you were dumb. You were dumb and your leaders were dumb. Verse 18, but, but through your ignorance, this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. All the prophets said that the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, Jesus, would suffer. It's like the, it's like the discussion's done. You acted stupidly, your leaders acted stupidly, but it had to happen. Jesus had to suffer. He had to be crucified. It was all part of the plan, so you were just part of that sovereign plan. So, now that we've covered that in two lines, so, verse 19, you murderers, stupid people, you need to repent, and you need to turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That word refreshing is a little hard to translate. It's, it's probably better to understand as blessing. Now, first, you need to repent and you need to turn to God so that your sins can be wiped away. What you've done can be forgiven. And so the Messiah can begin to pour out blessing upon you. The one that you killed can start to pour out blessing upon you. That is grace. I mean, like right down at its core. You killed someone that someone is seeking to bless you now. Legitimately love and bless you. That's grace. I, I can't sum it up any clearer. That is grace. Verse 20. And that he may send the Messiah. That God may send the chosen one who has been appointed for you, that's Jesus, heaven has to receive him until the time comes. He has to stay glorified. He has to stay with the Father until the time comes for God to restore everything. 
until God decides to bring it all back the way it was, send Jesus back for the second advent, the second coming. He's going to come. He's going to restore it all. Until that time, heaven must hold on to him as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, part of this blessing that Jesus is going to pour out upon his people is the complete reconciliation of the world. I don't know how eagerly you await this. I don't know, church, if you're sitting here today going, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Come take back this world and all that is within it. Come and reconcile it. I don't know how eagerly you await the trumpet sound and the the clouds parting. I I don't know how eagerly you await that, but you need to know this. It, It is being held back Jesus is tarrying. He is waiting because of one thing and one thing only. Because of the love that God the Father has for us, his people. And Jesus is waiting and giving us time for us as his followers to take the gospel message, the story of Jesus, the resurrection story of Jesus to all peoples and to give them the opportunity to repent and believe. That's, that's, all, that's all we're waiting for. And with every day that Jesus holds off, he's giving those who do not believe in him. He's giving those who do not know and love him. He's giving those who have not heard the gospel grace and opportunity to hear and respond. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come when all have heard and have had the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ, then this ultimate blessing will be poured out. But, church, some of the blessing, some of the spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that comes through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, some of it has already been poured out. And Peter will spend the rest of his sermon explaining through Old Testament prophecy that some of that blessing was fulfilled in Jesus and some of it is available to all of us who repent and believe today. Verses 22 through 26. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Moses says there's a prophet coming who will be the Messiah and you need to listen to him. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people, will be without inheritance, will be without hope. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold of these days, the days that they are in right now. And you, the people Peter is listening to, you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you. Peter is doing it right now. Peter is showing them the blessing they missed. Peter is showing them that this Messiah and Lord came and they rejected. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you 
from your wicked ways. And then Peter calls them to repentance and he says, you would be so wise to listen. Six weeks ago, it may not have been clear and you killed him. You get one more shot. The gospel's coming to you, the murderers of Jesus, this first round. You have this chance to respond. You would be wise to take heed and see that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He is Lord. The blessings that he brings are available to you, but you need to repent and you need to believe. And boy, you need to do it different than you did last time. Then Peter drops the microphone and walks off the stage. And people go, we just, we just wanted to see the dude jump around. I, I, you, I, didn't, I wasn't coming to church. We, we just heard that the crippled guy can walk. And Peter said, he walks because Jesus lives. The guy you killed, he was the Messiah. He is the Lord. And him walking is just a testimony to that. Him walking is just the platform for me to get to show you what really matters, and that's Jesus. Peter informs them that they need to pay attention this time. I wonder, church, how many of us are like them? Jesus, yeah, I got it, I know it, not really into it. Think I've got some time to figure it out. And then you hear messages like today and and you can probably guess where I'm going and and I can say that the blessing that was promised through Jesus Christ is available to you today if you repent and believe that he is Lord, that he is Messiah. You can probably see where I'm going with this and some of you are already just kind of throwing up that wall going, yeah, but it's just not for me, not in this season, I'm in college. Or here's what's even more scary, some of you are going, yeah, but I go to church and I give some money and I kind of just am good. I don't need to repent. I don't need to confess my sins. I don't have to fully believe in just Jesus. Like That just seems constricting. I'll figure this all out at some point. Peter's words to his hearers 2,000 years ago are the same as my words to you today. Boy, be careful. Be careful because you need to take heed of this. That Jesus is the promised blessing that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, verse 3. God says, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That is a promise of a covenant that through the line of Abraham, the Israelites would come one who would bless all people. And that one came 2,000 years ago, lived in Nazareth, was Jesus. And today he sits glorified at the right hand of God. Jesus is God's blessing to his people, to us. That's the blessing. And a lot of us are like, yeah, It's kind of a weak sauce blessing, though. I'll be honest. So I get Jesus, but my life is still hard, and it's not great, and I'm still depressed. And you know, there's I hear these these other preachers, and and they say that if I believe in Jesus, then I'm going to have health and wealth and happiness. 
I like that blessing better. So if you're saying that the blessing is Jesus and his blessings currently are spiritual and then sometime down the road he's going to come back and really make it awesome, I, I don't know that I want that. Oh, but you do. Because the health and the wealth and happiness, they're actual byproducts of the true blessing. But we can't expect them. We can't seek the byproduct until we embrace the true blessing that is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you, God, for giving us every spiritual blessing. Not wealth, not health, not happiness. Every spiritual blessing. Here's just a few of them. Here's just a few of the blessings that come through Jesus Christ, through believing in Him. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. Not just, not just like when you come up here and kneel and, and repent and confess. Like that, that is how forgiveness is, is poured out. But you're forgiven. Everything you've ever done, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you'll ever commit, forgiven. You're forgiven by Jesus Christ, by His atoning work. You are adopted. You are co-heirs with Christ. Every blessing that God has poured out on Jesus Christ, you get a piece of that. Because you're His son and you're His daughter now. You're adopted. Your identity is a child of God. Those of you who just kind of wane through life going, who am I? What am I? What is this about? You are a child of the Most High God through Jesus Christ. That's big. You've been saved. Death has been conquered. It has no more sting. We as humans, we face our mortality in many different ways. The younger we are, the more we fear it. The older we are, the more we embrace it. But mortality is something we all have to deal with. And in Jesus Christ, one of the blessings that we have is salvation. We have eternal security. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have peace, hope, and joy. Those are spiritual blessings that are poured out by Jesus. Peace, peace with God peace in our body, peace with our soul and our mind and with other people. We have hope, hope for a future, hope for the current sufferings that we're walking through, that they will actually produce good. We have hope, and then from that hope comes joy, true joy. Not just happiness that's circumstantial, but joy that permeates from the very core of who we are. We have that in Jesus Christ. And finally, through Jesus Christ, we are justified. Kind of a churchy word. It belongs in the courtroom, actually. And this is really important to understand. In Jesus, you have been declared righteous by God. God the Father looked down on you, and because of your faith in Jesus Christ, He says, you are right with me. You are right with me because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You are justified. And you go, well, God loves me. Of course I'm right with him. I'm his homeboy. Like, he made me. He loves me. I'm good. Here's, what's, here's where that's not true, good, biblical doctrine. Without Jesus Christ, God looks down and sees you for who you are, which is a sinner. He still loves you, but as a just God, he must declare you sinner. 
And it's only by Jesus Christ who comes in and takes that ruling, takes that title of guilt upon himself on the cross. And he, through faith in him, makes us righteous, justified. The God of the universe looks down and says, you are right with me. As the band comes back up here, you do not want to miss these blessings. Peter was trying to get his hearers to understand. And I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to hope that you can hear alongside of them and understand how you do not want to miss this. Yes, health and wealth and cars and smiley faces and all those things, they seem like what we desire, what we need, what we want. But in reality, you need Jesus And the only way to have Jesus is to believe that he is Lord and Messiah, to repent of your sins, to turn from them, and to follow him. That's the only way. That's the only way to have these blessings, these spiritual blessings, to be called forgiven, adopted, saved, to have peace, hope, joy, to be justified. The only way to do that is through Jesus. Some of you know that because you've experienced these blessings and you're sitting here today thankful for your relationship with Jesus. Others of you, you think you have that because someone has told you that because you're sitting here, you're good. Because you came to church today, you're justified. But it's really only through faith in Jesus Christ that that occurs. And others, you're sitting here today and you are far off. You're pushing Jesus aside for some reason or another when he's calling to you and saying, I have paid the price. I have done the work. I will bless you. But the way you unlock that blessing, that salvation, adoption, forgiveness, the way you unlock that is through trusting in me. I don't know where you're at, but this is the time where we respond. This is the time where you allow God to move in your heart and to call you and his grace becomes sufficient for all of your needs. This is a time where our pastors and our prayer team will come and they'll stand in the front and they're going to come and they're going to stand here and they want to pray with you. They want to unlock the power of God in your life for any circumstance that you're walking through. But this is also that time where I think some need to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Some, for the very first time, need to put their faith in Him to step into every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Some of you need to really look at where you're at. Maybe, maybe you've really strayed, and you just need to repent. You need to repent of that and turn back to God. And others can simply worship and celebrate His goodness that is Jesus Christ. But we all have a way today to respond. Come for prayer. Come to profess faith and repentance. Just come. Don't miss this opportunity. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that no one would miss you today, that you would call by name those who you desire, that you would convict hearts and minds today in Christ Jesus, that you would unleash your power as we respond in prayer. Let us be a church that prays. Let us be a people that see and stand in awe of you because of how you move. God, may we truly and without any hindrance worship you in this moment as we respond to you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.